0: Jennifer is an ordained elder in the Upper New York Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. She was ordained a deacon in 1998 and an elder in 2002. Reverend Green got her B.A. from Lycoming College in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, in psychology and religion, and a Master of Divinity from Candler School of Theology, Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. She has served various appointments within the United Methodist Church. Belfast UMC and Canadia UMC, Lindenville UMC, and currently serves Hilton United Methodist Church since 2008. She and her husband Troy have four children, William, Trent, Nicholas, and Catherine. They enjoy hiking, fishing, and playing board games as a family. Jennifer has a passion for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with others and helping others to connect their own lives within the greater story of God's story.
1: Thanks so much for joining us today, Jennifer. You are the pastor at Hilton United Methodist Church in Western New York. Can you give our listeners some insight into how you came to enter the ministry and what it means to you? And how do you see your service to your congregation and the community?
2: Yes, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. I actually received a call to ministry when I was in seventh grade. I had had a year of a lot of deaths in my family. So my grandfathers died six weeks apart. And I watched my parents go through that grief and um, really struggle in terms of their marriage and in the difference in how they were working through that process. And then that spring I, well, that fall, it was summertime. Um, it was my first day of seventh grade that my second grandfather died. So I just entered junior high and um, all of those feelings. <laughs> then uh, that fall, my great grandmother died on my dad's side. And in the spring, uh, my our great, great, great aunt, um, who actually my daughter is named after, uh, she was Rosie the Riveter during World War II. And just an amazing woman and like a grandma to me, she had no biological grandchildren, died. And I was sitting in her funeral and at the front was a woman pastor. I had never experienced a woman pastor up until that point. And I remember thinking, is this what you want me to do, God? Because of course, it's seventh grade. So you start that career conversation and all those kinds of things. and really, it was this distinctive, like, this is what I want you to do. So I have often felt that grief and funerals are a really huge part of my ministry because that's how it all started. And I explored being a teacher and other things, a nurse, a doctor, but always came back to pastoral ministry. So um, that is that is kind of my call story and how I came to be. and. I've served a couple of different churches, um, but have been in the Hilton community for twelve years, which is somewhat unheard of for United Methodist. Uh, but we're going to take it as long as we can get it. <laughs> uh, we because of our children in the school district. But really, um, my husband is also very involved in the fire department. So our our ministry um, together is between the fire department and the church. And I really. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, said the world is my parish, and I really feel that way. Like, I am not just the pastor for the congregation and the people who might set foot into Hilton United Methodist Church, but I really try to be a presence for, and a a pastoral presence for the community, and often am called upon by the local funeral home to do services for people who might not have a church.
1: Are you finding that more people now do not have a church home than did when you were say in junior high?
2: I don't I don't know about that cuz I don't know that I was so aware of of that. Um but and even from my beginning part of ministry, um when I was pastoring down in the Southern Tier in Belfast, New York, I would do an unchurched person's funeral at least once a week. And while I was there in my four years of serving that community, I did six suicide funerals. So, but all of those people, one of them was a church member. The rest um, all did not have church homes. So I don't, I don't know that it has changed dramatically. Although statistics tell us that there is quite a change in people, not necessarily claiming a certain denomination or a certain congregation. as Hmm.
1: Okay. That's interesting. I must say, we've spoken a couple of times, Jennifer, and and you are so energetic, upbeat, and positive. And I personally find that very refreshing in a minister. I know when I was a child, I was raised Episcopalian. And our services and everything were always somber. Yet I've attended a couple services at your church and others with other denominations. And contemporary services now seem to me to be so much more filled with positivity and hope that I find very, very refreshing. Our topic today is grief and belief. And it seems in today's world, there's more separation among families, among communities regarding our religious beliefs. I think people seem to be a lot more outspoken about what they do or do not believe. Uh, whether they're more comfortable in the, in that social environment or not. And I see a lot of separation, almost like discussing politics. You know, it's one of those things that you don't necessarily want brought up at the dinner table because you don't know what can happen. So with the death of a loved one, when everybody needs to come together and support each other is so important. How might these differences impact the grief process?
2: yeah i I think that it can impact the grief process so much, and I'd like to use an illustration from my own life and that was when my grandmother uh passed away. I was a first year uh pastor, so I'd just begun pastoral ministry and serving a congregation, but it had a lifelong had been brought up in the church, so I had this lifelong belief of resurrection and new life after death. My mom's sister and her children did not necessarily have that. In fact, my cousin came to me once and said, and she's about eight years older than I am, said, why do I need God when I have everything I need? So in the midst of gathering together to celebrate grandma, to grieve together, um, there really was a difference because they were devastated because they were unable to see or experience something, or have hope in the midst of that death process, which is common, I think, for people who are, not, who are not Christian, or have some sort of sense of there's something after the death. But my brother and I seem to have hope and try to celebrate grandma's life and her new life. So we could have had that be a real point of contention within us. I think that I see in families where people who are well-meaning and and religious they they tend to want to impose that belief on others, and then it causes confusion and and more than that, sometimes anger and I'm trying to think of a good word for it, but but just disparity within the family, and then we're questioning each other's grief because. Grief is beyond. We experience grief whether we believe or not, and I think that's important for people to know that that grief is not rooted in our belief, but how we experience that grief might be different because of our belief.
0: Yeah, no, it definitely. Like I've I've heard of it. I've seen it. That some families, it just causes you know estrangement. That's the word I wanted. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I realize some people detail and plan for their own funeral process and preferences prior to their death. And in those cases, does it make that division any easier to resolve for families?
2: You know, I don't know that I have a direct answer for that, but I would say in my experience, I've watched that be better because people are able to say, well, this is what mom wanted, or this is what dad wanted. And and you know what they want. You don't have someone imposing their own wants on on the family. And because they'll say somebody might say who hasn't planned ahead, the children or grandchildren or whoever happens to be in charge of the service might say that's what they wanted or they knew that. But when it's been pre-planned, which I really encourage people to do, to not be afraid of that. I think people are so afraid of death sometimes. Mm-hmm. That they don't want to pre-plan because maybe they're they're speaking something into being. Well, the reality is we all are going to die eventually. So I really encourage people to, to write that down, keep it in a safe space, so that their wishes can be carried through. And it I think it does cause less tension with the family, especially with a, a good funeral director. They can say this is this is what we're going to do. Um, my brother-in-law who is single and in his 50s um has a complete notebook with everything he wants for his funeral because it could have it could be a point of contention in our own family because we do have varying beliefs within our family as well and he is a believer but other sisters and other people within the family aren't necessarily so that would i think it would it's going to help when that time comes for him to have pre-planned and to have something written down in a
1: safe place. I think something else it does too is it makes it easier even if there's no division or differing beliefs in a family it makes it easier for the person who is kind of left to make those choices. Yes. I know my mother did it with a local funeral home and it made it so much easier for me and for my brother who came from out of state Because all of those decisions had already been made. The funeral director knew what the choices were and kind of guided us through it. We only made one change, and that was instead of having, since she had moved from assisted living to a nursing home, she was no longer able to attend church services per se, but would attend the chapel services at the nursing home. So we changed it instead of having services at the church she had been a member of was only for like four or five years. We had service at the nursing home in the chapel. And I think that was just a much better representation of her beliefs and everything like that. But my, my point, I ramble, but the point was that it makes it easier for the people that need to plan that funeral. And it does take a lot of pressure off them at a time when grief is just really overwhelming them and they're beginning to see what's involved.
2: Yeah. And I would share um, my, my father two years ago died two days before Christmas. Mm. So we were in the midst of Christmas and we had small children. So we're trying to keep things somewhat upbeat about Christmas because we don't want to ruin Christmas for them for the rest of their lives. But we were in shock and we somewhat, we, Somewhat knew that was going to happen, but still there's just this shock. And, and to have some things that were already planned was extremely helpful to just be able to say to the pastor, this is the hymn we're going to use. This is, this is what we're going to do.
0: Yes. I've, I've watched my mom go through both, both avenues of that with my grandmother. I think the only decision literally we had to make for grandma's funeral was what kind of flowers I like. (laughs) So it was, and I always. She always talked about it to me. You know, I've planned my funeral. She was like, Oh, I just went and purchased my coffin. And I was like, grandma, that's so morbid. And it was, you know, I'd like, like, we didn't talk about death. You didn't do that. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is crazy. My grandmother, she's, she's planned her death. Like, you know, but it really watching my mom having to go through that. And it was, it was done. And then at the other side, I had to watch her completely plan every little detail. Mm-hmm. And because of that shock and numbness that you have, I know she bounced a lot of ideas off of me to make sure she was thinking correctly and, you know, it would be okay for everybody involved, all family members. So I, if you haven't done so, I highly recommend it. <laughs> make sure that you have things planned. It's so much easier for your family members. It's not morbid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Stephanie,
2: I would add not just with with the funeral home, but... If if you happen to attend a church, sit down with your pastor. Mm-hmm. I've had some people come in and say this is what I'd like. I might not be here, but we put it in a file and we put it to the side so it's there. But also a trusted friend, a a colleague or or somebody who who can assist in that if if you're not of a if you don't belong to a congregation. Mm-hmm. So
0: I think it's one of those things that should be just as important as like telling your family members about, you know, your like your DNR yeah, and stuff like yes, that. Yes. I think this should also be part of this part of the life process. So in the cases where there's no planning and immediate family are at odds, who makes the final decision and what can you suggest as far as helping people better understand how they might compromise to support each other?
2: Yeah, you know, I was I was thinking about this because I think it really depends on the family who makes the final decision. I would say this is just my own personal opinion and personal thought process. But if it is a spouse, I think the spouse or partner needs to make that decision. If there's a, a partnership of some sort that it, where there's not a marriage, I I think that partner needs to be a part of that decision. And if if there's an oldest child or, or children, they really need to to designate somebody who can be make those decisions. I have experienced where there is no children and the spouse or partner has is also deceased. So then you have a niece or a nephew or, or someone making some of those decisions. So it really, perhaps it's important for people to designate somebody that can make those decisions and, and, and do some of that pre-planning and say, this is who I want to make this decision. And if this person's unavailable, maybe we need a backup as well. It's, it's like doing a request uh, per se, uh, when we're filling out our life insurance or, or that kind of thing. So I think it, when, when a family's at odds, I, that is such a difficult situation that I'm not sure that there's a real answer for that. But I do think people have to realize that everyone and, and be aware that everyone is at a different place in the grief process, even at that those first few days after the death and be understanding of that and give give one another grace. And I can't emphasize that enough. I think it's very it's a much easier to say than to do, but not always demand your way, but be open to the fact that there might be a better or different way that can le- yield the same results and really celebrate who that person has been in, in your life and the legacy that they're leaving. So I would say that's, I guess that that would be what I would say about that.
1: Yeah, that, that makes sense. And as you were talking about designating someone, it it <laughs> prompted a thought in my head that maybe there should be a movement, and and maybe you want to start it as your legacy, <laughs> that just like there's a healthcare proxy, you right. can have an end of life proxy, or something right. similar, that this is the person that's going to be responsible for making decisions that have to be made that you have not previously conveyed your wishes for. That I think would resolve a lot of issues yes. for a lot of families. And I know that there are so many creative people in our world. And every so often I hear of an alternate concept for a memorial or other remembrance that might help span the difference in beliefs. For example, the the loss Stephanie was referring to was the somewhat recent loss of my husband about two and a half years ago, who was a Vietnam veteran. So I knew without a doubt, knowing my husband well, that there was a certain military component to his funeral that was necessary. So I got, well, I won't say really creative because I've been to a number of military funerals, even the very formal ones at Arlington. But he was a member of the local Vietnam veterans chapter and they have an honor guard. Mm -hmm. And I had requested the Honor Guard come to the funeral and do their thing. What I wasn't prepared for was when they put the call out to membership that there were over 50 of them that came both for calling hours and for the funeral itself. I wasn't prepared for it. It was a very emotional component of his service. But when their spouses offered a last salute, And each of these gentlemen individually came up for a last salute instead of collectively, you could have heard a pin drop. Yes, it extended the length of the service, but it really impressed upon people how important military service was to him, how how many lives he had impacted with his membership and his duty And it turned out to be a beautiful, beautiful addition to the service. Wonderful. I got many, many comments on it. Right. But thinking of creativity, and I can't really take credit for any of that, but um, I know that there might be something really different. So what have you seen in your ministry? Maybe a service that's held in kind of a a unique place or a part of a service that maybe somebody brought in, whether a... um, custom or tradition from another religion or another culture? What have you seen that you can offer that might help somebody else think of something unique that they might want to do? Yeah. So
2: I've seen a lot of different things happen. And and one of the most unique I I've experienced is someone put the ashes of their um, husband in, and I can't remember directly if it was a, Like the engine of a motorcycle or like, you know, like the cover on a motorcycle engine or if it was a helmet, Um, but he was a scuba diver and he loved motorcycles. And so they put that in and then they released it into the ocean. Now, I'm not sure about like EPA (laughs) standards for that, (laughs) but I thought that was so unique to really honor who he was and to have something like that. Now, now she doesn't necessarily have a grave to go to and things, but, but I think once you see, every time you see the ocean, that is very much part of things. I would share that at my dad's funeral, he worked for NYSEG for 40 years as a line mechanic. And his big thing was turning on the lights in the middle of the night and watching a whole street light up and how he knew that was helping people and, and things. So we had arranged for the line trucks to come, sort of like they do for firefighters, and they flew a flag from that. So so using utilizing someone's career, and it doesn't have to be military or firefighter service or police service to be able to to utilize their career in some way to celebrate. For my husband's grandparents, they died very close together and did not have a church, had lived in Georgia. And so we used the local fire hall, and we gathered together to have a brief service, and then to share a meal together. And my husband's grandmother refused to have any service, and the, but the grandchildren who she had brought up, uh, many of them, they had just been—they lived so close that they were in and out of her home all the time. They were really grieving and in need of a way to express that grief and to share with one another and gather with one another. So we just arranged for a luncheon at a local restaurant that was, we just had a private room at a restaurant and ordered meals and just shared stories about grandma. And that actually, talk about contention, my husband's aunt would not talk to the cousin who had arranged for that because grandma didn't want anything <laughs> and how dare they do that. But I think it was really important to, and, and they've worked through that. It took time, but they've worked through that. Um, but I think it was really important for those grandkids to gather in that way. And it was very simple, very um, informal, and, but a way for people to gather and just express what they needed. And another creative option, and and this again, I keep using my dad's service, is there are seven grandchildren in our family. Um, My husband and I have four, and my brother and his wife have three children. And we found things that were important to my dad. And um, so the oldest grandchild carried his ashes in, which was our oldest son. And then my dad always loved circus peanuts. So someone had a bag of circus peanuts. He always had weird sunglasses. So someone had the sunglasses and my dad's belt, my, his climbing belt, someone, um, of course, the smallest grandchild got the climbing belt, right? <laughs> but but we, um, they brought those in and placed them in and, and remembrance. And I think that was each kid picked what they wanted to bring in. And I thought that was a pretty, it was not my idea. I, I thought it was a pretty creative way. And that's something that people of any belief can do to pick some things that really um, are important. I've used for services I've done and I knew the person uh, was really into motorcycles or, or, or other things. I have found fabric and I've just decorated a table with, with those images to celebrate people and who, what they, what they stood for and um, how the legacy they're leaving in our own lives. So uh, those, those are some things that I've seen and, and experienced.
1: I love that idea with the children. I really do. It's so touching. And I think that's so much better than just leaving the children at home.
2: Yes. Which
1: which was what happened in my generation. Yes. Hence probably why one reason I was never ready to talk about death. But I just love that idea. And it does prompt so many things. I remember again at my husband's funeral, his best friend Came up to the podium to just say a few words. He had a cup of Tim Hortons coffee in his hand. <laughs> Every day my husband went to Tim Hortons for coffee. So there might have only been a handful of people in that room that understood that. But for me, it was instant smile and something yeah. that was so, so ready. And Stephanie, do you remember the post it notes
0: for grandma? Yes. From
1: grandma's funeral. Yeah. Uh, we, we were at the funeral home and <laughs> And her three granddaughters, there are four, but I can't remember. Maybe Kelly was just a little bit too young. But her three granddaughters remembered that grandma always had post-it notes and Mm. would leave notes on every little knick-knack in her china cabinet. On the bottom was a (laughs) post-it note who gave it to her to make sure that they got first choice after she died. (laughs) So here we are at calling hours. And the oldest of the the granddaughters pulls out a post-it pad from her purse. And they wrote notes and stuck them underneath the end tables at the funeral home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, those those things not only are they important at the time, but years later they prompt memories that you talk about and laugh about. So I think those things are great ideas. Thank you.
2: Well, and I, you had said something about the children, and I, I think that that's a topic that people need to hear as well because. I think often we want to leave the children at home because we don't know that they can deal with what's happening. We, part of it is we're dealing with our own we're all, our own stuff and our own grief, and so it's harder to supervise children and, and, and that kind of thing. I, as a mother of four, I totally get that, but i I do think that children need to be included, and um, whether they are included as a part of the service, whatever whatever that celebration looks like. Um, I have read storybooks that are grief related during a service, kind of almost had a children's moment when they are children um, and brought them forward and talked with them. I've met with children individually before or after a, a service, but to have to have children a part of of the service not only includes them in the grief process, but where else are they going to learn? unless we include them as children. A part of learning is doing and experiencing. And if they can have a somewhat positive experience of that as a child, I think it will help them immensely because grief will happen throughout their entire life. And, Um, and it might not be the death of a loved one. It might be the grief of a relationship that that is ending, or a or job loss, or a pet, a pet, yeah, yes. <laughs> And I think it's great that kids have have funerals. We have a, we had a goldfish. It was a carnival goldfish that that lived for four years. We named it Dorothy, um, like Elmo's Dorothy. And when Dorothy died, my kids had the idea of planting Dorothy, basically burying Dorothy underneath. A gold mum in our front garden, <laughs> and so every year when that mum lost, <laughs> we think of that goldfish. But I remember gathering around with with the goldfish, and yeah. saying a couple words for Dorothy. So I, I think that that that's even important yeah. because pets can cause a. Am- even for adults, um, the loss of a pet is is a grief uh, experience in any way. Yeah.
1: yeah, we actually do have on our list of potential topics, we do have uh, an episode well, awesome. about helping children grieve yeah. and kind of covering maybe the different age groups and how they handle grief yes. and what you can do. So Wonderful. maybe
0: you want to consider coming back. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I know talking about the children. So, and this is at no fault whatsoever of my mom's. It was, we've learned that they're different traditions and different ways of growing up and you do what you've been taught. Um, So Mm -hmm. you didn't talk about death. You didn't go to the funerals. You know, children didn't go to the funerals and things like that. So I never went to, I don't even know if I went to any funerals when I was growing up as a kid, mom. I know when grandma's husband, George passed, we were out of state. So I remember I remember that that's really the only one I think I can remember from my childhood but when I was 19 and worked at the University of Rochester we had one of the men working in our department his his younger son passed away and we went to calling hours and I had never been and I was with a friend of mine that and I was like what do we do I don't I don't know what we're supposed to do here I've I haven't been to calling hours I've never been to a funeral I don't know How am I supposed to act? What am I supposed to do? What's happening? Um, So I think that, and then, you know, the couple of funerals, well, grandma's and then Tom's bringing my boys so they can see it. It's not all somber. You know, there's the memories. And I think those memories and talking about the person that you love is very important. Um, And then even in your own home afterwards, talking about the good times and remembering them. So From that standpoint, letting the children come so they can just see what happens at calling hours or a funeral, because that awkwardness, you know, going when you're an adult, you know, you you can just better prepare for it. I didn't know what to expect and I didn't know this kid and I just, I lost it, just lost it, you know, just the overwhelming sense that I had from it. But so I think it's important to try to involve them and ask the kids what they're comfortable doing too. Maybe they just want to go yeah. to some calling hours. Um, maybe they don't want to be at the funeral. I know for Tom's, they were, of course, at calling hours. They were at the funeral. But then our family, we went and had dinner afterwards. And the kids, the boys were like, I just want to go home. You know, they, they had had enough. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. Yeah. I wanted them to be comfortable, yeah. too. And so, anyways.
2: Yeah, Yeah. not making them do something they're not comfortable with. Um, and I don't mean to derail or or take on uh, the next, when you do the topic about children. But one thing that um, I did with my kids, and I'm very grateful that either the Holy Spirit or somebody gave me this idea, when my kids' friends had grandfathers who died, we went to the calling hours. And part of it was being supportive of people who you care about. What I was trying to teach, but I also wanted to them to experience that. Before, it was somebody that they really, really were close to, and they had to experience it. And then my kids had a sense, and it it might be that that death happens and you don't have a chance to do that. We were able to do this. But my kids had a sense of what that calling hour would look like and would happen without Mm -hmm. having the pressure of their own grief or trying to entertain people or those kinds of things that happen. Mm -hmm during calling hours. Right.
0: It's about being there, supporting your friend. Yeah.
2: yeah, And that, that you might not know, uh, Stephanie, that's so amazing. I mean, you didn't know this person, but you knew, you knew their father and so, or, or mother. So sometimes that from the other side of when we're not necessarily in that grief, part of going, you might not know the deceased, but if you know somebody who, who knows them, it's just really being there in support of them. And, and that, again, that, that goes across belief, the belief spectrum. You do not need to believe. You do not need. It's just being a kind and caring human being.
0: Right. So lastly, Jennifer, would you offer some personal thoughts to those who either aren't sure if or what they believe when considering the death of someone they love? What might help them find some comfort regarding an afterlife or such?
2: Yeah, you know, I was reading this question ahead of time and I was I was really struggling with this because for me belief is so much a part of my life. Like I I'm a pastor. I live I live church and um not that I I w- I want to emphasize that I have my own doubts and questions and I really struggle sometimes especially when I'm dealing with like the death of my father or or those kinds of things. So it's it's not that people of belief aren't doubting and questioning. And I think maybe maybe that's it. Maybe it's it's sitting in those doubts and questions and realizing that no one and, and definitely God, but no one should be judging you for those doubts and questions. They are okay. And sometimes it's just sitting and and just crying that you can pray but that prayer doesn't have to be this long eloquent thing so if you have an inkling of of a, of a of a greater being of any way the word help or just you know one word I you know i'm I'm sad or or even this sucks i you know it's the i th- I think that that's important for people to know that we're all going to go through this this grief process at one point in our life and it might not be because because someone has died it might be for various reasons like like we were kind of talking before we even began recording about in the midst of covid-19 and the pandemic many of us are experiencing grief for the life that perhaps we knew and that we're unable to participate in now um maybe relationships that we can't be as close with because our kids or our grandkids or, or our siblings are in other states and we can't get together. And all of that is grief. And for me personally, having, having that faith helps me through that. But if you don't have that faith, then knowing that it's okay to question and it's, it's okay to be angry and that all of those, that gamut of emotions are all part of the human experience. And it does not make you less of a person, and it, it does not cause you to be any, any less. But I need to put this in here. God still loves you no matter what. <laughs> um, that even if you not, you are not a, a person of belief, I truly believe God still loves you. That's from my perspective as well.
1: Thanks so much, Jennifer. Uh, I love your statement about it's okay to doubt, it's okay to question. because I think for so many people, They feel it's an either or, it's a yes or no, it's a black or white, there can be no crossing. And truth is, there's a lot of gray, there's a lot of unknown, you can put whatever spin on it you want, but it's okay to have those feelings, whether you believe or not. I think our time is running short for today, Jennifer. (laughs) (laughs) It's perfectly okay. I loved everything you said, whether you felt it was on topic or not. I think it was important. It did pertain to today's topic and it's vital. And I often find that when I listen to a podcast, I'll go through, I'll listen, I'll be listening, I'll agree and everything. And all of a sudden there is one sentence or one phrase that is stated that will make me stop and say, yes. So I think it's very likely that some of those things that you felt might've been off topic. could be just what someone needs to hear. Yeah. Okay. So thanks so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to do this. I hope we can get you to come back sometime because I I love, I love the things you're saying and the perspective that you're offering us. I think it's great. And to our listeners, thanks so much for listening, for tuning in today. We hope that you heard something in this episode that will bring you back next week as well. Thanks. Thank you,
0: Jennifer. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening with us today. We hope you will find a moment to leave a review, send an email, and share with others. Join us next time as we continue to live and grieve together.